0: Hey everyone, this is your co-host Graham Moen, and uh, before we start, just wanted to let you have a disclaimer, we do swear a little bit on this podcast, so if you have any children listening or anyone that uh, is a little bit sensitive to that, just bear with us, it's not going to be very often, but uh, just as a disclaimer letting you know, there is going to be some explicit language in this So just make sure to um, pay attention to that. If there's any, again, if there's any young kids around, make sure they're not listening to this and uh, enjoy the podcast. This is the Mature Podcast, you heard. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a fifth installment of the first season, whatever it could be, of the Red and Blue Podcast. (laughs) Horns going off. I am your host, Graham Mowen, and of course, we have the co-host here, you know them. You love them. Hey, it's your boy, Monolithic. What up? What's going on, guys? We are back after a crazy four matches in the World Cup. The quarterfinals are gone. We are down to four teams left in this World Cup. Uh, we're recording this podcast on a Monday evening. So the games will be happening tomorrow and and on uh, Wednesday, Wednesday at 2 o'clock our t- Eastern Standard Time. So... Uh, Hopefully you get a good listen before this because we are going to talk a little bit about the quarterfinals. And then after we talk about the quarterfinals, we're going to do, like I said, like Owen said last week, we're going to do some tactical analysis. We're going to really break down these last two games because there's only four teams left. So we know these teams pretty well by now. We've seen them play. We've seen their styles. We're going to break down each matchup. We're going to really go into some of the not, – not the smallest details, but we're going to just – we're going to bring it out there for you guys, because Olam played soccer for years. I played soccer for a little bit, and I've been wa- been trying to watch more to get to know it. So we're going to have a little bit more analysis today.
1: Yeah, uh, like we said last week, we're going to try and get a little bit more tactical, just because there is only a few more games left. It's not going to be the longest podcast, because uh, the World Cup World Cup, excuse me, is winding down. Uh, so yeah, we're just going to go over what's happened uh, since the last podcast. Um, and then go into some tactical stuff and then our predictions as usual.
0: And as you all know, on the Red and Blue podcast, we start from the top. So that means we have to talk about, it's not the top game in the tournament, but we had to talk about it because we both had teams. I had Germany. They were knocked out in the group stages. I mourned that already. Now we have Olam's time. <laughs> Olam's room, events. Because the quarterfinals between Belgium and Brazil was a good game, and Belgium came out victorious two to one. There's a lot of big. There's a lot of things going into this though. It was a two one score, but there was a lot of different things to break down about this game. We're gonna try to keep it as short as we can, but at the same time, I had my time when we talked to Germany. It's only fair to let Olam have his time breaking down Brazil. So uh, I'm gonna hand this over to Olam because I watched the game, but it's just it was a really Interesting yeah. dynamic of the game because when I was watching it, I was just like, How's Brazil not scored three or four times? It, it was a weird game, dude. And uh, so by now,
1: uh, if you know if you're following the World Cup, you know Brazil lost my team 2 1 2 1 Belgium in the quarters again. Uh, I'm super fine, I'm super uh sad about it, but it is what it is. I expressed my concerns before <clears throat> the Belgium game going in. Uh, just because this Brazil team was never really in top form. Uh, and I think some of that showed in the Belgium game. Uh, and running into maybe the team with the best form left in this tournament. Yeah, and and again, running into the team that's probably in the best form. And honestly, not looking that bad against them. So just some general thoughts about the game. Um, so we we came out, honestly, first half pressured them really well. Looked pretty good. Uh, you know, I wasn't really mad at like anything that happened uh, in the first couple minutes of the game. Like, it wasn't honestly. It, okay, so an own goal happened off a corner. Uh, Fernandinho went off his elbow, went in the goal. Uh, I
0: don't was, even know why that's counted as an own goal for him because it was headed towards that direction. So, yeah, I don't. It makes Fernandinho look bad, but there was nothing he could have done in that situation.
1: And that, yeah, he was really he was he went up to the ball. It was in this place. There's not there's not much he could do. And honestly, after that. Yeah, it was kind of a shock to us. Like, the air in Brazil, it was kind of like, whoa, now we got to come back. And it sucked. But we played really well after that, honestly. Like, it wasn't that bad of a first half for us. And then, obviously, uh, De Bruyne And what minute was it? The, 31st. In the 31st minute. Woo! De Bru- Graham's boy, probably the – and I call him the best midfielder in the world. Because he is. Uh, had a laser of a shot. There was nothing – you could do about that it was a
0: straight arrow shot
1: there was nothing you could do about it and that being said we were getting killed on the counterattacks, but i'm gonna go into why i don't think that is that big of a problem so go so the the burnish shot happened we're down uh and we're still looking good we're fighting we're attacking uh we're playing our game we're pushing and i'm not really mad at it we're, we had a good amount of possession a good amount of shots uh and i just want to mention Coutinho, uh, the Belgium goalkeeper had a great game you mean Courtois? Had, or Courtois, not Coutinho. Yeah, um, Coutinho was on your team. Coutinho is on our team. I met Courtois. Uh, Tabio Courtois. Tabio Courtois. Uh, Coutinho had a good world cup, but uh, Courtois had, he just, he was saving
0: everything, dude. <laughs> like he's a big man. He's like six, four, like two thirty. So there were so
1: many goals that should have went in and he just made fucking amazing saves. So I don't want to take anything away from this Belgium squad because they did really well on the counterattack. And we were, uh, that's part of like the Brazilian style is pushing. Uh, we have our fullbacks, which are the uh, the two outside defenders tracking up a lot. So that leaves us vulnerable to counterattacks. And to Belgium's credit, they took advantage of that. Uh, looking at, Bel- or at uh, Brazil tactically, we had plenty of chances and we should have scored at least two of them.
0: There was that one really early in the game where it was a header or what was it a header or a kick where it bounced off of the left goal post. And then Paulinho tried to jump up and knee it in. Uh, I think it was a header. I don't remember, but, but it was early in the game and Brazil missed a goal by about uh, the, by about five or six inches. And there
1: were, and there were a decent amount of chances, maybe not that close, but we had, we had our chances in the game. Um, Those
0: corner kicks you guys were doing were fantastic. It's just, there was no finishes. Like, there was a, it was a nice low free kick that bounced yeah. to create some issues for the Belgian defense. And then it was lined up on a tee for, I don't remember who the first one was, but the second one was. Oh, it was Firmino, called. I remember that it shot. Firmino. It was
1: fucking Firmino. And he just, he tried and just missed it. And I'm just like, how many of these fucking chances are we going to get? And Paulinho
0: had it happen to him too. Oh my God. Earlier in the game.
1: And and there were a lot of fucking chances like that. And, you know, that being said, I I want to just get into like, some of the problems going forward with the Brazil squad. A lot of people will be like, okay, you guys got killed on the counterattack. Your defense was the problem. Okay, well, no. If you watched our our Brazilian squad play this World Cup, we actually had a really good defensive World Cup. In my opinion, one of the best defensive World Cups we've had in a while since Hulk was back there uh, doing work for us on the Ronaldinho days with with Kaká. Like, like two
0: thousand,
1: like Yeah, like 10, uh, even 06. Like yeah. those squads. Like this was some of the... One of the better defensive World Cups we've had. So, like, yeah, we got killed on the counterattacks, and that's one of the problems, or that's one of the, I guess, uh, Achilles' heels of a high press. Graham, uh, his German team, also uses a high press. They're a little better at defending counterattacks than we were on that day against Belgium. But not Graham, this World Cup. Not, but Graham, but Graham will tell you, like, that's that's something that happens uh, uh, against the high press is counterattacks because you have all of your team pushing up.
0: You usually have like eight of your 10 guys that are not the goalkeeper pressed up, and then it's a three-on-two or two-on-two in space against two center backs.
1: Yeah, with the momentum coming the opposite way, and nine times out of ten, your defender's having a track back. It's not a good situation. So, yeah, Belgium got us on the counterattack, but up until that game, we had been great defensively. So, me, personally, that is not what I would have changed going into the Belgium game, and I told you all this on the podcast, I would have done something offensively Me, it would have been with Jesus. He is is wearing the Brazilian 9 shirt. And and I'm the first person to tell you, I tell Graham this all the time, numbers don't really matter in soccer nowadays. But they do hold some meaning. And especially with Brazil. Like, if you're wearing the 10, you're wearing the 9. Like, these numbers matter. And he was wearing the number 9 shirt. Graham pointed it out. It was given to him. He didn't choose this. He was given this nine shirt, and that leads me to believe that tactically they wanted him to be up there helping Neymar, and he just did not do it this World Cup. He was great defensively, but we did not need him there. We needed somebody up top helping Neymar, taking the pressure off of him. He was getting spotted uh, with two on him damn near every play. Uh, it was a little better against Belgium just because of the way they play defense. They play a weird formation with, like, three defenders. but
0: They played four, actually, this past game. Oh,
1: yeah, they did play four, but their normal formation is a little weird. But uh, also
0: they had three center backs playing because Jan Vertonghen was playing oh, on the yeah, left yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. playing as a fullback, and that's not usually his position. But. Yeah. He held his own, but at the same time, that's a risky move against a Brazil team with so many pacey playmakers. Right. And, and that being said, I don't think it was like in this game,
1: again, it, going into this game, that was the main problem in this game. Some other things uh, showed up, but I don't think if we were in our top form that we could have been again, in my opinion, changing some offensive things, I think the Belgium game could have possibly went differently. Like, yeah, those, uh, the, we got killed on the counterattack and, Yeah, we didn't finish in the Belgium game, but I think if tactically we had made, pulled the trigger and made some of these offensive changes, some of these things might not have shown up against Belgium. Yeah, we got killed on the counterattack, but if we were scoring some of those opportunities, maybe they would have been uh, parking the bus a
0: little more and maybe they wouldn't have had those counterattacks. They were, I mean, they were holding pretty deep for a lot of that second half because they were up 2 0. Brazil. It wasn't not only it wasn't only the fact that Brazil had the opportunities. It was the volume of opportunities they yeah. had because and, they were actually really putting a lot of pressure on Brazil on Belgium's defense. Belgium was holding on for dear life that last like thirty minutes. And and, and, and
1: that's what I wanted to say it's because obviously you know getting into the later stages of the game, the pressure is going to be on the leading team. But before that, we were we were do, Belgium was doing a fairly decent job of defending us. And so I don't want to take anything away from them because, like I said, they played a good game. But at the same time, I think some of the uh, deficiencies that showed up with Brazil might not have shown up if tactically... We changed something. We changed Jesus. We put in Firmino earlier. We had the same rotation of subs damn near every game. I don't think one sub changed from yeah, game game.
0: Yeah, it was Firmino, or it was Douglas Costa, or it was Renato Augusto, and all three of them played in this game. Yeah, and so they were only playing really with 14 players. We really did. We No creativity with nothing. Like Martinos was, didn't see a single minute in defense. Fred, <sighs> the center midfielder for now Manchester United, didn't yeah. see this single thing. Felipe Luis is a left back, and he never saw any time. And again and
1: again I like th- that being said there was a lot of people that didn't get playing time and I think my thing is that if we were in top form and we lost then okay all of that can come into question but we weren't even in top form so it's like a lot of this is just hearsay because if we don't even know what this team at full strength was capable of cuz we never really got to see them in top form which is just kind of sad for me as a brazilian squad that being said B- belgium i think uh, has been the tournament, uh, the team of the tournament in the top form of the ones left, at least. Uh, probably them in England, uh, and we played them pretty well for not being in top form. So, I mean, I,
0: in reality, in my opinion, I think Brazil
1: outplayed Belgium. Yeah, yeah. No, honestly, for not being in top form, I think we played pretty well. So, going forward, I'm happy with Brazil. I think we we definitely need to make some tactical changes earlier in the World Cup next time. We need to realize that things aren't going well. So, as I pointed out to Graham uh, in some conversation before the podcast. We didn't have a great qualifying. We didn't play great. A lot of these uh, tactical issues that happened uh,
0: showed up in qualifying. That being said, Jesus played a little better in qualifying. And there was also personnel changes. Like I don't want harp- Marquinhos didn't play like most of the time when they were in qualifying. Yeah. and then in the World Cup he pretty much never saw the field. Yeah, and we had um, yeah, and the Marcelo
1: injury I think you know harpened some of the maybe the tactical yeah. things we could have done. And the back
0: is a weak area for Brazil if there is a weak yeah. spot.
1: And it always has been. And again, these are some of the tactical things that me and Graham have been discussing that it's like, we'll never know because this team was never really in top form. So it's kind of sad, but yeah, you have a lot of questions like, Oh, what if this person got to play? Oh, what if this got to play? Oh, well oh, we had to do a lot of stuff. The way we did was because, Oh, Neymar wasn't getting help. Oh, Marcelo's back was flaring up. Like there were a lot of stuff. There was a lot Costa, like there was a lot of stuff that happened. So like, I'm sad. Uh, but I think I'm gonna end my Brazil rant. You know, all props to Belgium.
0: Yeah, I mean Belgium. Belgium did play good early on, but if, just watching from a neutral perspective, I definitely f- felt the advantage going towards Brazil. Like in the second half, like yeah. as soon as when Firmino came on, and I think I'm, I've gotten to the point now where I'm with Olam on this, just because I won't. Jesus didn't play bad, but at the same time, I understood. I understand that Firmino came on and had an instant impact and was instant from the beginning of the second half. Brazil vastly outplayed Belgium. It, shots aren't necessarily a big indicator, but it was. But Belgium had one shot in the second half. Brazil had seventeen, so they were creating chances. <sighs> so that's why I keep saying I think this game was Belgium's to win, or not Belgium's win, Brazil's to win, because I really think despite the score, Belgium got outplayed. Yeah, it required an own goal which is just unlucky things happen. I don't want to and say a I, screamer from De Bruyne. Yeah. And I, and I, and again, it's i it's not to take credit away from them. That's just my yeah. opinion. Like, no,
1: and you're not wrong. I, I don't. Cause a lot of times I, I was telling Graham, this stats can be misleading when it comes to soccer, just because form and when you do certain things, timing in, in certain parts of the game can matter a lot more than what's on the stat sheet. But that being said, like I said, Brazil played, Really well against this Belgium squad. They—I don't want to say we outplayed them because they those counterattacks were beautiful. I mean,
0: you had to, <laughs> like it came to chances, like <laughs> opportunities, chances. For those who don't know, is like when you are passing a ball, whether it's off a set piece or off of a through pass to help set someone up for a goal. If you count the shots on goal, which is nine, because that's a chance created. Yeah, we're looking, and at then the, the stats corner here. kicks, which is eight. Yeah. you had s- at least seventeen chance uh, opportunities created, and again.
1: It looks way worse on paper when we're, we're looking at the stats and it looks like Brazil should have murked them. But that being said, I think this Belgium squad knew what they needed to do to come in and win this game. And they did it. Brazil did not And I don't want to take anything away because you Belgium, Brazil's not the type of squad where you can go in brazy and win. Belgium stuck to their plan and, and they won. And that's what you got to do to beat us. And they,
0: I think Belgium came out the first 35, 40 minutes of the game and were dominant. And then I think the rest of the game, they were playing like they were running from the boogeyman, which is which again I think was their plan. I think their plan was kind of strong. Like they were risky in the second half with how deep they were playing because you know Brazil any any one of those opportunities could have gone in. Yeah, this after, before that Renato Augusto goal later in the game when he came on. Yeah, and what or that Jesus penalty. Potential penalty that could have gotten called on company for sliding into yeah. them. At the same time, I don't really blame them for rolling the dice because we had chance after chance and nothing was going in. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like at that point, I'm parking the bus too. Fuck it. Like it's the U.S. Stri- <laughs> ironically, <laughs> ironically, as we switch on, this is the that was the exact ploy the United States tried to play against Belgium. Yeah, the last World Cup yeah. when Bel- United States scored a goal, or or it was zero zero and they hung on for dear life the last half of the game to try to send this game into extra time. Or to try to win the game, so Belgium moved on to the semifinals on their side of the bracket. It's not getting any easier. They get France yep. because France won two to nothing over Uruguay, who to this who to that point was probably one of the better two or three teams in the tournament.
1: Yep, probably again, probably one of top two or two three teams in terms of form in the tournament. But they, they had a out. big
0: injury. Yep, Edison Cavani, their other striker, was out. Yep, to help up there with. Luis Suarez, while Suarez is a great player in his own, that missing of uh, Edison Kibani cannot be understated for how that affected their team. And they had to play a much different formation because of that. And I think that, in part, might have thrown them off a little bit. Because France didn't play a great game, but they took care of their opportunities, and that's why they got through 2-0. Yeah.
1: Again, I... Okay, so if you you guys, you listeners, you listen to the podcast, so you know I hate it on France. Okay, they won. I'm going to put a little respect on their name because at this stage in the World Cup, everything is earned, and they won, and they did what they needed to do. That being said, this was a very ugly game. This was another ugly game by France. I do not think this France team is in the top form they can
0: be. But at what point do we start maybe saying it's just maybe we're Disappointed them because of their offensive talent so potent, but when do we start giving their defense credit? Because their defense has been pretty good in, the, in no, the tournament. And that being said, you're right. They have their defense has been has probably, in
1: my opinion, been the highlight of this France Like with Raphael Varane. Other than the young talent yeah, that
0: showed, like them. Raphael Veron playing a key role, and Christian Pavard as a breakout star yeah, right back, yeah. and Samuel Mtiti from Barcelona, who's had a really good World Cup, like. And then having Conte and Pogba as the defensive help, yeah. and especially Conte, their defense has really maybe helped mitigate some of the fact that their offense hasn't been as potent as you'd like it to be.
1: And it's also some of the more uh, experienced uh, side on on the team. They so, have
0: experienced young players, which is hard to find. Yeah, Samuel mtiti has been playing for a good period for his national team That's or what, for his for his club team, uh, Barcelona. And Verona has been doing it for the other side of.
1: Yeah, and that, that's kind of what I was getting at, uh, I think, is that like so, some of their, I guess, uh, the anchor of the team in terms of like, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, experience. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of experience, it has been their defense, and I think it showed on the pitch in terms of how they played. Like, their defense has had a really good World Cup, but they played ugly. And I don't know, and I and then I tweeted this, and I don't know, and the more I think about it, the more I'm, I'm starting to believe it. I don't know if the games are ugly because the games are organically becoming ugly or if because France is making them ugly and they know how to win ugly games. And I think that may, might just be the formula for them this World Cup.
0: <laughs> I think we expect as soccer fans with the attacking talent that France has. It's a it, beautiful game. Like,
1: yeah. it, you would expect that from this France team. But it's really just a grimy game. Their, their talent... Uh, shows up when it needs to, they, they, they score a goal on their the header or and something. They're t-
0: and they're a tough team, too. Like, their midfielders are two of the toughest players at their position with N'Golo Kante of Chelsea and Paul Pogba of Manchester United. And then up front, they have, they started Christian Toloso's by trade, a center midfielder, so that was a little interesting. I If it was me, I would have started like Guzmane Dembele of Barcelona or Thomas Lamar, now of Atletico Madrid, formerly of AS Monaco, yeah. to maybe be on that flank but they had Griezmann in the middle and Kylian Mbappe on the right side. Maybe they want to pace. Want yeah. Pace. So they have a lot of pace up front and then they have those two steadying guys in the backfield who not only are great at playing deep, but yeah. Pogba and Conte can both advance. So they can kind of play a your turn, my turn game where one of them advances, the other one sits back yeah. and then they do this other game where the other person does that.
1: And, and something big is that, uh, in terms of like, uh, on the world stage, is that talent doesn't always show up. And this young team, uh, talent-wise, from an offensive standpoint, has been showing up. I can't hate that much. You know, my boy Mbappe is showing up. He's been the
0: best teenager, like we said, since Pele almost.
1: Yeah, like, he's the only teenager, like, European teenager, I think since, like, what was it, Michael Owen? Like, when he fucking, in in terms of, like, uh, uh, you know, what's it called? Uh European teenagers yeah. scoring in the World Cup. So like And I think
0: he has three or four.
1: Yeah. So like they should hey, shout out to this young France squad and their and the talent. Like that because they like I said, uh England and them, they're kinda on the same reset schedule and both have kinda overperformed this World Cup. So great for them. Going forward, am I gonna pick them against Belgium? No. Because I first of all they beat Brazil and that I'm they better go on to we <laughs> to win the World Cup. And two I think, inter- I think form really starts to matter now when we get into the nitty-gritty of soccer. And this Belgium squad, is they're, they're hungry and they're ready. And to see my boy Lukaku have such a great game against Brazil, He normally when he's not getting the ball at Man U, he's pissed. He's sulking. He was so happy to be a distributor. He was so happy to uh, let the dummies go. Be a decoy. He was so happy to do everything for this national squad. So am I going to pick them against this French squad? Am I? Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm not picking France because, yeah, they're winning. But until they show it against Belgium, I'm not picking them. And I was telling France, uh, Graham, early, this earlier, if they beat this Belgium squad and they show me something, I'm picking them in the final no matter who they face.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're going to France has is not going to have an easy test against Belgium. Belgium's the best team left. Uh, I think we're going to talk about we'll talk. We're actually going to talk about them a little bit tactically before we get into uh, the other two matchups. So now we have France versus Belgium. Who? What do you think is the biggest like factor in terms of like, who do you think is going to be the biggest uh, factor for each team? Is it going to be who we've normally seen? Is it going to be De Bruyne's influence, or is it going to be, or could it be potentially someone else from Belgium? Okay. Uh, so I'm gonna go to the France side.
1: I think I'm gonna, and I'm gonna give you a dark horse here. I think it is Paul Pogba for this French side, you wanna know why? Because this Belgium sky has an anchor in the middle by the name of Kevin De Bruyne. And Paul Pogba, I think with the way this Belgium team is attacking, I think they're gonna need an anchor in the middle who can come back and help defend when that wave comes on the counterattack and can also show up and help them young boys get a couple goals. And I thought so I'm saying Paul Pogba for France. On the Belgium side, I'm going, I'm going uh, the same. I'm going Kevin De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne and Bromelo Lukaku. Actually, I'm amending it. I'm saying Lukaku because of the game he had against my Brazilian squad. If Lukaku is willing to play on the left and the right instead of in the middle and distribute so De Bruyne can get in the middle, that makes this Belgium side dirty. And I don't know if this France defense that we mentioned has had a great World Cup. I don't know if they can hold up against, in my opinion probably one of the best strikers in the world, Lukaku, and then
0: the best midfielder in Kevin De Bruyne. Ken, who knows? What do you think? I think their influence is pretty apparent, but I actually think the biggest thing for Belgium is someone, is their captain coming back. Okay. Okay. Their skipper Vincent okay. company okay. coming back in the tournament because, like we said, France is not devoid of offensive talent. Okay. France is going to throw wave after wave of guys you. It's going to feel like a hockey match. They're going to have all these... All these talented players, the Thomas Lamars, the Usmane Dembele, the Kylian Mbappes, the Adrian Griezmann, Antoine Griezmann's one of those midfielders pulling up, whether it's Conte or Pogba. like Vincent Kompany, if he is in the middle, able to coordinate that defense and keep them from breaking, that's going to be a huge thing because France has the offensive talent to score against anybody. Anybody. doesn't matter how good your defense is. All of those guys on an individually talented basis are some of the best players in the world at their positions. That's true. So if Vincent Company gets hurt at any point in this game or isn't the same hundred percent skipper that he has been for Belgium and for Manchester City when he's been playing, that that could be a real issue. Because Toby Anderield and Jan Gerton are both good center backs, but they're not of the influence of Vincent Company. Vincent Company has been there through everything with this Belgium team. He was there last World Cup when they got knocked out and people expected more out of them well, they're now the best team left in this tournament by a lot of pundits' eyes. If they lose, it's going to be obviously because goals were scored, and if goals are scored, it's going to be blamed on the defense, and that turns to Vincent Company. because he is the captain of this team. Okay. Let me let me pose this. The only reason why I'm a little more worried in
1: terms of France is because I've seen them in a slugfest. You know what I'm saying? Like
0: We saw Belgium won, too.
1: Yes. Against Brazil. Right. But... Hear me out here. Against Argentina, with France, there was that game was void of defense. No, it was a track meet. This Belgium side got their goals, stuck to their game plan, parked the bus beautifully, by the way, and and weathered the storm. On, I would argue, a more talented team than I, France.
0: I guess for me, it just depends. So, do you if they can do that against Brazil? Do you think lightning in a bottle is going to strike twice? That's my thing because I don't. This Belgium team's been in four tournaments. tournament. To be honest, I like Belgium, and I think they've been playing really well. I don't think I well. I think we should give them credit for their win against Brazil. I think Brazil vast like vastly outplayed them, and I'm going to go out on them saying that Brazil vastly outplayed them from the 45th minute on, and they held on by the skin of their teeth. Like you saw that the company slide on Jesus company nut, or not company Jesus nutmegged one of your, one of the defenders and almost scored to make it two one. Yeah, it went and, out pretty early, but yeah, but. but the, I guess my point to get back is before I go on a rant. You can't expect a really high quality attacking team to be stifled all game a second time. And I think France has just as much attacking talent as Brazil does. Right. So, I, you really have to gamble on the fact is that strategy going to work again? But it, but here's my thing. I think it didn't. We got to look at the first
1: half of the Brazil game too because Belgium came out swinging. They were not scared, and if they come out not scared against a young France team, I don't know. Like I'm, I, hey, and listeners, maybe I'm pulling hard for Belgium because they did beat my squad. But this Brazil squad, yeah, we weren't in top form, but we're talented all over, and we're like the fact that they were able to beat us, it means a lot. And they stuck no, to I the. Mean,
0: it was a good win for Belgium, and
1: they stuck to their game plan like I haven't seen a team do. Against us in a while since we got whoop last World Cup against Germany, but that was more just we didn't know what the fuck to do because Neymar was hurt. So like, yeah, you, this France team has a lot of offense, but do well, do they have the wherewithal to stick to their game plan in in the semifinals of the World Cup? I don't know. They haven't. They've been playing
0: ugly games and just winning. Like, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I think it's gonna be a really interesting match because I think Belgium's defense is good. But I also think with the volume of chances and good opportunities that Brazil created, that's concerning mm. because just because they didn't break this time doesn't mean they're not going to break this next time. For all we know, they could let in, in a goal or two. If, and even if they, let's say they scored first and were up one nothing, that game's not over if you're playing France. But and, and that's my point.
1: I'm, I just think there's not a lot stopping this game from the floodgates being open and us getting another France-Argentina 4-3 type of game. And that being said, I don't know if you can stop a Lukaku-De Bruyne offense coming at you. They got a lot of talent on this Belgium squad. They do. And
0: it will <laughs> depend on France has been doing it. Like, a lot of this
1: France talent offensively is young. Well, they sh- they, and ha- yeah, they've been showing up this far, but this is the semifinals. The lights just get brighter from here.
0: Right, they got to show me something, France. Yeah, I mean, it will also be interesting to see for and for me for Belgium. Eden Hazard really guys has to show up coming up because the other two, he's influenced the game to some extent. But yeah. we still haven't seen a big time game from him or a game where he's creating chances where he's flying down the wing. And maybe now he can because he's going to be on the. He's left been there.
1: making good runs though, even when he's not created. He's been
0: involved in the plays. Yes, him versus Christian Pavard is going to be a very very interesting. Yeah, match that's true. That's because. Very true. He's going to have a really good opportunity to go against a top-notch player who's been really showing his stuff in this World Cup, really elevating his stock around the world when it comes to soccer. France, for me, it, their big factor. I don't. It's not their defender for me. It's you said Pogba. I'm probably going to go, and that's a dark horse. Yeah, but I think I think I think it's going to come down to that anchor in the midfield. I think so. The way Mbappe goes, so goes France. Okay either him or Griezmann, because Griezmann kind of seems like he's that field general in the middle for them, where he can dictate, and especially, I really liked the, um, the formation they played, where they had Kante and Pogba sitting deep back, and having Mbappe on the on one side of Griezmann, I would put either Thomas Lamar or responding and Bele instead of Toloso, again, on the left side, and then you have these two streaky guys on the side, where Griezmann, who, while he's pretty fancy himself, will be able to sit in the middle and just distribute crazy because he can, he can be a good center forward or a good attacking mid player and then Drew in the middle to get those headers and draw some people away I think that could cause serious problems for Belgium because Thomas Mumier is going to have to play a little bit of a deeper role coming up and Jan Vertonghen not a left back by trade yeah. so I think, I think that's why that's why I'm thinking France has a really good chance to win this game. I guess what I'm saying is that eventually age will show
1: and if France goes by Mbappe goes, the nigga is 19. <laughs> and this is the semifinals of the World Cup. He showed up so far. All credit to you, my boy. But can you do it on the semifinals against a team that, in my opinion, has been in top form? We got to see. And it'll be, like Graham said, I think it'll be the best
0: semifinal match, quite frankly. So I think we both have the same team despite this discussion. Just just because we want everyone to understand like how this game, this game is going to be... Very well played. Yes. Like there's no, because there's nothing left. There's no more holding for a tie and trying to advance the next round. You got to win this game or you're playing third place. Yeah. So I think I have Belgium. You, Olam has
1: Belgium. I'm going to go 2-1. After all that France talk, he's picking Belgium
0: listeners. I'm, <laughs> I'm just giving my analysis.
1: I'm just giving my which, analysis. Which is a fair analysis. I appreciate it. It's just bigging up this France offense and then picking Belgium. I just want to give France some love because you hate on me so much. I, hey, okay, that's fair because I do hate on France a lot. And if but, it was uh, up to me, we wouldn't even talk
0: about them. Two French-speaking countries going at it. Yeah, that's Belgium, the, the, the country that's not France, you know, <laughs> the country that doesn't speak French is there that wasn't native French. Right. Moves on. I'm gonna say two one, but I think there's gonna be a lot of chances
1: created on either side. It's either gonna be a Brazil type of game two one, where if somebody ends up parking the bus, or it's gonna be a slugfest like Argentina versus France four three. I mean, that'd be fun which <laughs> exactly whichever one we want we we get. I'm gonna be watching, but
0: that that's my analysis. It's either gonna be a two one or a four three. All right, so now we have that side done. We're going to go quickly through the uh, the other side of the bracket. Russia, finally, finally, that was out. Finally, thank God, because
1: we would have had a pick and yeah. that would have just been an ugly situation. I
0: mean, it would have saved us some time. <laughs> it would have saved a lot of time. <laughs> but uh, another hard that this was honestly probably the second best played game out of the uh, out of the quarterfinals. And I actually this was didn't a see, crazy game. I actually didn't even see all this
1: game. Uh, this was a
0: crazy game. Yeah,
1: I only saw the highlights.
0: Like Croatia scored. Germany, oh, not Germany. Russia opened up with a goal. The crowd was on fire. Mm-hmm. Then, shortly after that, Croatia came in and scored, tamed it down right for the half, one-one. Then they play the entire second half. No one scores. They go to extra time. Right after extra time, Croatia scores. And then the 115th minute, Mm -hmm. Russia says, we're not going down yet. Get at. Gets a goal, ties it up, and then they go to penalties. And for the second straight game, the veteran, the class, Ivan Rakitic, finishes the final penalty. Croatia goes through on the second straight game penalties. Croatia's in the semifinal. Shout out Luka Majer. Like, two Cinderella stories going after each other. Croatia, obviously, is a more talented team. But they, when it comes to tournament chances of winning the World Cup, they were lower on that odds. They were like ninth or eighth, ninth, tenth on that totem pole, and they are one win away from playing for the championship. This Croatia team has been very impressive, and honestly, one of my favorite to watch.
1: Yeah, honestly, uh, it's
0: kind of opposite for me.
1: Uh, I like this, I like this uh, Croatia squad, uh, but I do not think that in terms of quality it's been a lot of penalties it's been a lot of oh let's park the bus let's see what we can do past couple games uh against a russia side that yeah they got here but do i think they're one of the top teams in the world no (laughs) so
0: great story for them
1: great story for them but at the same time i think we do need to take into account uh what that says about croatia a little bit uh maybe less about what it says about russia (laughs) um you know uh, that. That being said, I guess what I'm trying to say is they maybe they played down to the competition a little, uh, and maybe. and maybe everyone kind of did that with Russia a little bit this tournament. Like, oh, we don't gotta worry about them. Uh, but then it turns out to do. Uh, that being said, you know they pulled it out in penalties. Uh, Rakitic uh, again, uh, two games in a row scored the last penalty. Uh, and shout out to them because now they get to play in England side. Uh, that. Yeah uh had a, a pretty good game against, uh, what's Sweden. it called, Sweden.
0: Yeah, they uh, won 2 nothing. I mean, it was pretty straightforward. Uh, Sweden came out and pl- didn't play a bad game, but England's Didn't class, really play a great game either. <laughs> no. I mean, Sweden's very steady. Sweden's yeah. not going to usually wow you too much, but they're a very steady team. And props to them for making it to the quarterfinals. This is big for them. Yeah. but uh, And they, they do have a lot of promise. But England, again, ahead of schedule. Yes. They are showing up on the big stages. All the sterling hate really needs to stop because I don't get it. He's been playing well. Yeah, and he's like, getting I've been it watching and I don't see why I don't see the problem. And
1: he's getting it nationally, kind of how I give it to Jesus. Uh, <laughs> like nationally, like he's kind of been getting a lot of hate like from England media. Uh, and I don't really see it either. I think he's
0: had a pretty good World Cup. Yeah, like it it just doesn't make sense to me. But at the same time, the rest of the team has been playing well. Deli Ali scored. But earlier in that, Harry McGuire, the center back, scored. Fabian Delph came back from the birth of his child to come and play. He uh, was solid.
1: Yeah, he came in... 77th 77th minute. minute. 77th minute. Had, a, had a pretty good game. Uh, All so, the
0: substitutions were late. Yeah. Because uh, England was up 2-0 at that point. They were just making sure their top guys didn't get hurt. Rashford came in for a cameo at the end. Eric Dyer came in for a cameo. And it got kind of ugly uh, towards the end of the game just because... A uh, little, little
1: note... Uh, yellow cards get wiped out after the quarters. So you could tell that England was just kind of getting pissed off and going for some fouls, knowing that their yellows would get wiped. Uh, So it kind of got ugly. Yeah. They
0: had, there was two straight yellow cards in this game and, a one-minute span?
1: Yeah. It, towards the end of the game, they knew like you You kind of get chippy because Sweden is obviously fighting for their lives. So they're doing whatever they can to win. And it kind of pissed off England a little bit. So they started just fouling, knowing that their cards were going to get wiped in the next round because they were up 2-0 at that point. So it, it kind of got ugly towards the end. But that being said, uh, England showed their class uh, and pulled it out. My boy Harry Kane had a pretty good game, even though he wasn't there. Uh, he didn't score, did he? I don't think he did.
0: Nope. It's yes, uh, Harry Maguire and, and then uh, Dele Ali.
1: Yeah. So Harry Kane wasn't there scoring, but uh, he was always a presence for them uh, as their captain. Uh, the and- funky
0: formation is still working out. <laughs> you hate on this formation, man. I, no, I've never seen anyone play a th- with three defenders, one holding midfielder, four attacking midfielders, and two strikers. It's working. It is. And, 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 but they are playing two wing backs essentially with Ashley Young and Trippi. Exactly,
1: and that's what I was about to point out is that tactically it makes sense because this uh, uh, for soccer fans who don't know this England side uh, they are they're not like the Brazilian squad, which uh, a lot of our tactics is just like uh, fullbacks pressing and then hero ball. Uh, oh, you're talented, you take the ball, you do it. Oh, you're talented, you take the ball, do something. England just skips the middleman and puts them up front. Not only that, but England England has a set uh,
0: like. Recipe, a set playbook that yeah, they. Yeah, Gareth Southgate teaches them a certain way and how he wants them yeah, to play.
1: Yeah, they're he, they're very stern with the way they play and uh, formation. When you're a very stern team like that, has a lot to do with it. So tactically, uh, the formation kind of makes a lot more sense. Like Graham pointed out, they have Ashley Young kind of holding so it, he can cover that space, that awkward space. So in, they can <laughs> almost play
0: like five defenders sometimes. Exactly. With so NBA it and uh, Young tracking back.
1: And yeah, it's, it's and exactly. So it, it gives them versatility. Uh, they can have young going forward if they need to. Uh, more often than not, they can have them back helping. So tactically it's weird looking on paper because nobody plays it, but it works.
0: Yeah. I mean, England played their game and now that they're going to play Croatia and it's going to be a really fun, it's going to be a really fun semifinal to watch. I, I think it's going to be a good game. It's going to be, a, I think it's going to be physical because England, like you said, has will foul people sometimes. England has big guys, physical guys, especially on defense with John Stones and Harry Maguire. No,
1: and now that you're actually saying that, I can see that just because of the way England plays. Like I was saying earlier, they're very stuck in their, uh, what's the fucking word I'm looking for? Tactics? Tactics. Well, not tactics, but like... uh, Philosophy? Philosophy? I guess, like England, the way they play, the way they play like the, the uh, style, style, yeah, whatever you want to call it, listeners. The way England plays, it's like it's set in stone, and they don't really deviate from it. They have a lot of talent, but the talent doesn't doesn't freestyle very often. It's every all of their plays are very much within the philosophy of what they want to do in the game plan. So that being said, Croatia's fu- been fighting for their lives the past two games. And They're Cro- ready,
0: and Croatia, <laughs> and Croatia. Let's their two defensive midfielders free flow a lot, Luka Modric and Ivan Rakitic. Yeah.
1: So that being said, I really you you said you can see this turning into kind of a slugfest, physical game. Now that I'm thinking about it, I can kind of see that too, I mean, because Croatia's England's going to be up.
0: they had 18 fouls last game.
1: <laughs> because think about it, England's going to be stuck in their ways with their formations and their stuff. When they when they don't score, they're going to get frustrated, and this Croatia team is is ready. They are talented. This is their time. This is their time, maybe. This so their window. This is their window. So I can really, I could, I can see this getting being a physical, grimy type of game, uh, the type of game France would love. Who? Uh, <laughs> who's
0: your key player <laughs> for the Three Lions for the England, this England side? All right, uh, key players. Obviously, um, we know Harry Kane's going to be important, but uh, who's someone else off the radar that maybe people should keep an eye out for? Um, I have one. And I think you'll like him if you don't take him.
1: Okay. I, are you going to say Rashford? No. Okay, good because I wasn't. Uh, mine is uh, Deli Ali. Um, no, it's
0: not mine, so perfect.
1: All right, yeah, Deli Ali because he scored in the last game. He's had a pretty good World Cup, but uh, if you look at uh, the tactics of the game and how they played, Ali didn't have a great game. Uh, and and if you watched his post game interviews, he wasn't happy about it. <laughs> he scored, but he wasn't <laughs> happy about it. He didn't. I don't think he smiled once during his post game interview because he really didn't play that well. Uh he. As a world class player or an up and coming world class player, he expects a lot. I'm uh, glad he
0: wasn't happy about. That.
1: Yeah, no, and that's good. You expect you want that from your young up and coming players. So like, good for him. But uh, so I picked Delhi Ali because I think uh, as one of their young up and coming stars, uh, they're going to be looking for him. Uh, for uh, Lingard for all for Rashford when he comes on, all of these young pieces to show them something. Uh, so Delhi Ali, he has a starting position. I think it's really going to be on him to uh, to show those sparks of uh, world class talent that he's shown uh, for a full 90 minutes to really help Harry Kane and the rest of this England squad because, like I said, they don't freestyle much, they're very stuck in their philosophy and their style. Uh, and when they do. Uh, freestyle, it comes down to the young talent. It comes down to Lingard. It comes down to Rashford, comes down to Deli Ali. Sterling. Comes down to Sterling, who, again, people want to criticize him. I think he's got a pretty good World Cup, but it comes down to those young guys to really freestyle and show their flashes of talent. Uh, so, you know, Sterling, too, I guess, starting. Like, I expect the starting guys to – the starting young guys to – so I guess my mine will be starting the starting young pieces for England.
0: Uh, mine is one of the young pieces.
1: Yeah, so I expect the starting young pieces yeah. in general to just uh, show some flashes
0: and really help England. I picked Ali Ali's uh... – sidekick next to him, Jesse Lingard. Jesse Lingard? Okay. Good because thing. Lingard has been someone I've always I was been impressed with both this past season for Manchester United and seeing him in international Had a competition. Good season. Had a good season. Like he play he's been playing he's been improving under Jose Mourinho in, in uh Manchester.
1: Yeah letting him go.
0: And he's honestly been showing wow he can play versatile positions. He's playing in a, a right attack midfield position now. He's playing in the middle whereas he's usually opposed to he's usually playing wide. Especially when he plays for uh, Manchester United, he plays wide a lot. But um, I really like how he's been playing. He's influenced the game. He's helped as a secondary playmaker for Dele Alli. So that way, Ali's not having to do everything himself. Especially on games like last game when he didn't have a great game, Lingard yeah. was there to and take off some of that pressure. He has that pace in the middle that no one else in the uh, no one else in England's midfield has. That's true because he he's a fast Alli is more of a tactical player, like in terms of being efficient. Ashley Young is older, and Trippier is a fullback by choice and he's, he's pretty good athletic wise, but he's Lingard has that speed to get by the next person. They have Lingard and Sterling as those two guys that can really separate and make space. But Lingard's where it starts because he's feeding it into Sterling who can feed off those chances when Harry Kane gets doubled for the, for the listeners. uh, uh, When we say pace, that's uh, that's basically just fast.
1: You're, yeah, you, if, if you're pacing if, on the ball, you your you're fast reaction time. Lingard's very fast. <laughs> he's a very pacey player.
0: So is Marcus Rashford, but he just doesn't he doesn't play as much as Lingard, which is why he's my big thing. If Rashford was playing, I would definitely do that because I've been a big fan of Rashford yeah. for a long time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think. And then for Croatia, who would you have as your? Uh, as your X factor. I think it's pretty obvious with some of them who it is like, I'm going to go for me. I mean, Rakitic got to show up. Ma- Modric is the number 10. He's got to show up and he's been playing well. Um, I really think we have to hope that their goalie's not out. You knew. You yeah, heard about them, sorry, yeah, right? that's true. I didn't even think about that. We so, didn't even mention that. For those who know, when Russia played Croatia, Croatia's goalie, Subotic, who's been having a good world cup, pulled his hamstring, after they had already made all their substitutions. So uh, what happens is if you have an injury, injured player when they have substitutions, they either have to keep playing or you have to play with one less player. Yep. Until you get to extra time, because in World Cup, in extra time, you can add an extra sub. But they didn't think they were going to get there yet. So their goalkeeper was playing with a hurt hamstring and saved three penalty kicks <laughs> on a hurt hamstring. Like a Or two penalty kicks. And they were both great penalty kick saves and both because both the goals that he saved were from their two of their biggest players in Smolov and Fernandez so if he's hurt that's gonna be a big issue because I don't know much about their backup goalkeeper at all but he's been very good in the World cup
1: yeah no I honestly don't know much about him either um that being said that's a good pick man. <laughs> that's a good pick man like I, I think madra gotta show up He's their 10. They're going to need goals. Rakitic will be big. But uh, I, It's between them in the middle. And
0: also, when he comes on, watch out for Mateo Kovacic. Yeah, Kovacic. Because when he comes on, he brings a lot of pace and a lot of uh, youth that that midfield needs. Because that midfield is very good, but it's also very veteran savvy. Yeah. So having a guy come in and be able to light a fire under Modric and Rakitic, not that they aren't fairy players to begin with is something that's really helpful for them to help maybe push them through that second win that they're going to need against an England squad that can run up and down the field a lot more than this Croatia team. And listeners, if if you're you're on the FIFA website with
1: us, then you'll notice that we picked the center for both squads. So as we're saying tactically, it's just funny that that's how it turned out in our picks. Uh, I picked Deli, he picked Lingard, who are both in the middle. Uh, I picked Rakitic, he picked Modric, who are both in the middle.
0: As we're saying tactically, midfield's going to matter a lot. And being game. in the middle in the midfield is so important because you have to be able to uh, distribute on both sides. Yeah. Which is, so you need a player that is comfortable in being in tight space and then also able to move it to the outside where then he can move for a goal.
1: And, and a lot of players. Uh, how do I put this? I guess play, playing in the middle is different in soccer because you need to be okay with your back to the opposite goal. You need to be okay with playing back sometimes. A lot of players are one-track kind of guys, and that's why you play them on the right or left. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: because they're one-track guys. They make their runs, and that's all they do. They, they're they not a back-to-the-goal type of player. Uh, Players who can play in the middle have the the type of soccer uh, wherewithal, this type of soccer knowledge uh, to where they can play with their back to the goal. They can distribute. uh, And that's really important. And I think that's why we both picked on both squads, the mid players, as the players of impact on both squads.
0: Although our predictions are different.
1: (laughs) Although our predictions are different. Getting into predictions. Uh, All right. So Croatia, England. I'm going with the three lines, baby. You know I'm going with it. Belgium, England, part two, the rematch, the final. is happening. That's my pick.
0: As fun as that would be to see, <laughs> because they didn't get to play a real game last time they played Yeah, each that other, was all
1: B-team bullshit.
0: I am picking Croatia. They have oh. been through the gauntlet. <laughs> they have. They when have. When it comes man. to dealing with difficult situations, the captain bu- uh, blowing a penalty in their round of 16 game and still winning the game not giving up after Russia crushed them with a 115th-minute goal and still winning in penalties. Their goalkeeper saving them on a pulled hamstring. (laughs) This team is gritty. I love it. This is their window. I'm going with Croatia.
1: So for me, it's
0: Belgium-Croatia. Either way, whether we get a Belgium-Croatia, Belgium-England, France-England, France-Croatia, we have some good matches coming up. And, and
1: in that case, the
0: third place game would be fire. I'd say so <laughs> if our, if a matchup goes the way those matchups are going to go, we're going to get to see some really good soccer for the next four games. These two semifinals and then the third place game along Facts. the line. So uh, we did run a little bit longer on this podcast just because we went more in depth, but we appreciate the listens. That's it for all of us. Cause semifinals start tomorrow. That last one is on Wednesday. And then we're going to come back in that time period between then and the third place game to do a third to do a preview for that and also for the final because we will know by then.
1: Yep, and by then we'll know the final, probably wrap up the World Cup podcast, and then give you all a little preview of Season 2 of the Red and Blue for the Premier League season. I'm so excited uh, for you all to ride with us for this first season, man. It's we gonna- have
0: a lot of transfer news, a lot of – because in soccer you don't as much trade for players, you kind of tr- – buy them from a team. Yeah. Uh, transfer news from Manchester United, Manchester City. It'll go we're gonna go back to clubs. Yeah. And we're gonna This is the red and blue podcast, if you forget. So (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna have more in depth discussions. We don't know quite yet what the next move is, but we do know we're gonna give you some great content when it comes to English Premier League soccer and the other leagues. Yeah, we'll
1: give you a little more info next podcast, probably. Uh, we're probably going to take maybe a week or two just to figure out the format, what we're going to talk yeah. about on the podcast and everything. The uh, Same way we did, just to make sure that this podcast wasn't all disorganized for you guys, because us talking about soccer can get kind of crazy, or sports in general. Um, so yeah, we're, I'm excited, man, to do the Premier League season with y'all, because me and Graham are always watching, always talking, transfer news. Uh, Always watching teams. Uh, We just love good soccer. So it'll be interesting to uh, uh, have you guys ride with us through the season, man. And we're not just going to talk Premier League. Obviously, it's going to be centered around that, but we're going to talk La Liga. We're going to talk Serie A. Champions League. Champions League. All of it. All soccer during the season will be talked about on the Red and Blue Season uh, 2 in-season Premier League podcast. So get ready for that.
0: Stay tuned for us. Owen, you want to make sure you yes. got our promos Yes.
1: Uh, so as usual, I'm going to roll out some promos for you. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it so much. Uh, uh, join the Tree City Street Team at treecityrecords.com. Get updates on podcasts, music, videos, uh, all the good stuff. We just had a label meeting yesterday. A lot of good stuff coming for you guys. Uh, so definitely join the Street Team. Get updates on everything. Uh, Graham and Andrew recently just put out another podcast. Uh, definitely check that out. Um, and we'll be
0: coming out, and we're going to actually be doing one in the next few days. But um, mo- as a little spoiler, it's going to be uh, just some news a little bit about the Browns, a little bit about the Cavs, what to do from there. And uh, we're also going to get some more just like leisurely podcasts talking about music with our friends or video games, whatever is interesting. Yeah, we're,
1: so we're definitely in that vein going to get back into the LFD podcast. I know for you listeners who follow us, it's been a while since we've gone on that and talked about music. So we're definitely trying to get that grind back. Uh, Graham and Andrew have been, su- been super consistent with their podcasts, as you guys know. So they're going to keep coming with episodes. As I said, me and Graham are coming with ours. Uh, so definitely be on the lookout for podcasts in terms of music, uh, black hoodie rap on the way. Uh, Zell got some stuff coming. I know Rob's cooking up confidence up single out now, a uh, big smoke single out now. Uh, what else? Uh, Kids Beat Tapes, Webhead Beats, uh, Volume 1 and Volume 2 on Spotify, Apple Music, all that good stuff out now. Uh, Intellect Got Singles Out. So, yeah, just uh, Tree City Records on SoundCloud, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, follow us and tell your friends, man. We appreciate the love.
0: All right. And that does it for this episode of the Red and Blue Podcast, part of our Tree City Sports Network and Tree City Radio. Thank you so much for listening. Let's have some good soccer. Yeah. Yeah. Peace. Later.